The title of this morning's message is New Creature, New Kingdom, New Laws. This morning I want to continue to talk to you about some of the differences between the Old Covenant laws and the New Covenant laws. The last time I ministered, we looked at a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, where Jesus told him that the kingdom that he was looking for was actually a spiritual kingdom. And in order to gain entrance into that kingdom, he would have to be spiritually born into it. And in order to be spiritually born into it, he would have to be willing to see things very differently from how he was raised to believe. He would need Holy Spirit to open his eyes to see what had always been God's plan of redemption. The Jews had an idea of how God was going to bring forth all the promises, and they missed it. because they had their own understanding. They were thinking very natural and very physical. And the kingdom is first and foremost spiritual. The Jews in Jesus' day were completely and thoroughly indoctrinated in the old covenant concepts of law-keeping for righteousness and blessing. So when Jesus comes along and says that he's bringing a spiritual kingdom with different laws of operation that comes with eternal life and God's very own righteousness, the Jews don't get it. What do you mean God's righteousness? And actually, a lot of the church doesn't get it either (laughs) because they're still trying to manufacture their own righteousness and holiness through law-keeping. And they're still trying to produce their own blessings through good behavior. Now, don't get me wrong. God is in complete agreement that we should have good behavior. (laughs) It does us good. (laughs) But he doesn't want us to have the same motives Israel had. Israel demonstrated good behavior so that that they could live in God's blessing and protection. And that's how their covenant worked. It was a so-that covenant. Israel lived in the kingdom of darkness. So many Christians don't embrace the concept that we have a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual government. We have power and authority. We are in the kingdom. And because they don't embrace that, they identify not with the new covenant believer, but with the old covenant, Israel. Israel lived in a kingdom of darkness and was constantly subject to the law of sin and death. So when they obeyed God, They would live under his protective umbrella of blessing and presence. But when they sinned, they moved outside of his covenant protection, where the law of sin and death operated freely. (laughs) And there was no way out of that spiritual darkness back then. They were stuck in that kingdom. God had not yet provided the way out. They were servants and prisoners to sin. So the best that God could do at that time was offer them this umbrella of protection. Stay in covenant, (laughs) stay in the presence, stay in the blessing. But if you go outside the covenant and start doing things your own way, you set aside the umbrella of protection. That's how it worked for them. But we have both the kingdom of God and freedom from the power and presence of sin. Many believers still don't realize that as believers, we already live in the kingdom of God and that God's kingdom doesn't have the same rules of operation as the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of this world. So they keep trying their best to operate like good Old Testament Israel. (laughs) They want to go back to the way Israel did things by keeping the commandments and offering confessions and contrition in an effort to stay under God's umbrella of blessing. They don't realize that as New Covenant, born-again believers, we are completely different from those who lived under the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant Jews were spiritually dead. They were not connected to the eternal life of God or His eternal kingdom, which is why they needed the Old Covenant umbrella of law-keeping and sacrifices. But we don't. 
because we have already received the very eternal life of Christ in us. And we have already been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. We live under his government, under his dominion, under his love, under his blessing. We don't live in the same kingdom the world lives in. In God's kingdom, we don't have to try to stay inside the kingdom. That's what Christians are trying to do by keeping the law. Stay inside the kingdom. But you can't get out of the kingdom. <laughs> you don't have to try so hard to stay in. It's like trying to stay yourself. It's not hard. <laughs> this new kingdom works completely differently than the kingdom of this world. Now, this natural world is under the power of the kingdom of darkness. And in that kind of kingdom, yes, you have to earn your blessings. You do have to have right behavior to get a raise. But not in God's kingdom. <laughs> in that kingdom, you have to do right to stay right. In God's kingdom, you're always right, no matter what. This old covenant or worldly thinking is what old covenant precepts are based on the way the natural world works because that's the only world they had access to. They didn't have access to the kingdom of God the way we do. So yes, this present natural world still operates on those exact same principles. But we live spiritually in God's kingdom, in God's government, and in God's power. <laughs> and we can operate according to the rules of this kingdom, his kingdom. And his kingdom principles are based not on what we do, but on what Jesus has already done. We didn't put ourselves into God's kingdom. We didn't make ourselves righteous with God's righteousness. And we didn't do anything to merit living in God's goodness and blessing. Yet all of these things are true about us, <laughs> but only because we put our faith in the finished works of Jesus. It's the finished works of Jesus that have brought us into eternal life and into the kingdom where he has made us continuously righteous as a gift of his grace. Just reading that, <laughs> just saying that, makes me want to go, oh. that's what happened when I first came into the understanding of what I'm telling you. What? I can lay down the works? I don't have to try so hard to be perfect? <laughs> Constantly on myself trying to be perfect all the time. Why? Because I want to please God. If God's not pleased, then how can I be blessed? Well, God is pleased with Jesus on my behalf. <laughs> he may not like what I choose to do, but he will certainly tell me. But I don't move outside the kingdom when I fail. It's a permanent kingdom. I love that I no longer have to work really hard at trying to stay righteous and perfect. Because I now know he has already made me righteous and perfect in my spirit. When I fall short of perfection, I just remind myself, that's not who you really are. That was your flesh head. Everybody's got one. But who am I? In my spirit, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I have perfection in my Father's eyes. Amen? But if we had to come up with our own righteousness by keeping the law of Moses, then our righteousness would come and go, just like it did for the Old Covenant Jews. But we don't live in the same kingdom. I know this sounds like a broken record. We don't live in the same kingdom. <laughs> we live in God's kingdom. And in God's kingdom, he has made us born again into this kingdom, completely righteous new creations. And our kingdom operates on different laws because we and God are completely different. <laughs> we are completely different from what we were before. We get to operate on principles of his kingdom instead of this natural world. We can see this newness in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Very familiar. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, the original things. That's what that old means. <laughs> the original things are passed away. Behold, 
all things are become new. Now, this word new, according to the Thayer's Greek lexicon, does not mean new as in the most recent. <laughs> when you say new covenant, it sounds like you're saying the most recent. But in this word for new, kainos, means a new kind, an unprecedented kind, a novel, uncommon, and even unheard of kind, a previously non-existent kind. And it also refers to that which is far superior to what came before. This is what kind of new we are. <laughs> we are a new kind of human being. We were born again, not on the outside yet, <laughs> but we are born over again just like a brand new baby, someone who previously never existed before. The me I am now never existed before Jesus Christ. He has recreated me into his very image. He has created me to be new. He's created all of us to be completely new. And when he created us, he said, hmm, I think y'all ought to look like Jesus. <laughs> Let's see, I will make you sinless and righteous and holy and full of God. And that's exactly what he did. The old things that came before, our old sinful nature and our old man, were both destroyed. We don't have an old man anymore. Now, we have old man thinking. <laughs> but we don't have an old man anymore. He died, completely died. All the old of us died when the Holy Spirit baptized us into death. Years ago, like when I was a kid, somebody read my palm. And they said, oh, you're going to die by drowning. I was like, I, I don't swim very well. I don't like this. <laughs> well, Satan will take any opportunity to scare you. So even as an adult, because I'm not a good swimmer, I don't want to go near the water. <laughs> and I saw one day I was talking to the Lord about it. And he said, it already happened. What? He said, you already drowned. When did I drown? He says, the day I baptized you <laughs> in the Holy Spirit, the day I baptized you in the water of faith, the day I baptized you drowned, honey. That person died. <laughs> God can turn whatever lie the enemy brings to us and turn it around and bring forth his truth out of it. It is just amazing. So when the Holy Spirit raised us up, raised me up, he raised us up into this brand new kind of spiritual life. Resurrection life, eternal life, holy life, one with Jesus life. We received a brand new spirit and a brand new heart. We have a brand new heart, a brand new nature that looks just like Jesus. And then Jesus took us into himself as his bride and made us one with him. We are not who we used to be, and we are not forgiven sinners forever. Even though they told me I was born again, they said, you're nothing but a dirty, rotten sinner, and you should be happy that God forgave you. That's not the gospel. <laughs> Stuck with my old man? That's the gospel? No, that's not the gospel. <laughs> we are not just like Old Testament Israel, and we don't need to keep the, the Old Testament laws as a means of keeping or maintaining our righteousness, our right standing with God. Law-keeping, in an effort to stay right with God, just keeps the believer looking at his own works as a means of merit. And our own works don't earn or maintain our righteousness. Jesus maintains our righteousness. <laughs> it's his blood that made us right. It's his life that made us right. We don't have to maintain him. He maintains us. <laughs> the Jewish believers of Jesus' day had the same difficulty the church has today, thinking that law-keeping was the means to of either obtaining and or at least keeping their right standing with God. And we can see this in Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 30. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. So then, what does all this mean? Here's the irony. The non-Jewish people 
who weren't even pursuing righteousness were the ones who seized it, a perfect righteousness that is transferred by faith, a perfect righteousness. Yet Israel, even though pursuing a legal righteousness, they're not pursuing a perfect righteousness, they're pursuing a legal righteousness, did not attain to it. And why was that? Because they did not pursue the path of faith, but insisted on pursuing righteousness by works, as if it could be seized another way. And they were offended by the means of obtaining it and stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, be careful, I am setting in Zion a stone that will cause people to stumble, a rock of offense that will make them fall. But believers in him will not experience shame. Paul is saying righteousness is by faith alone, and righteousness by faith alone hurts your pride. <laughs> and it hurt their pride because they wanted a legal righteousness. They wanted to bring their good works to God and have God go, good boy, good girl. It was part of their identity. They wanted to be able to go, see how good I am. That was the Pharisees. See how good we are at keeping the law. They never said, look how good we are at loving God. It was all about keeping the law. The Jews saw themselves as the people of the law. In fact, they still do. It was the law of God that made them who they were in the eyes of the world. Even to this day, the law is supreme to a faithful Jew. God is not. That's a striking, <laughs> astounding fact. It isn't that they so love God. They think by studying the word, Torah, that they will become beloved of God. They're showing God just how serious they are, how sincere they are. And none of that is faith. And that's all based on what I can do for God. But keeping the law was never <laughs> a means of salvation. This is the crazy thing. It was never the means of salvation, which is why they needed all those sacrifices because they couldn't keep the law. They kept working at it, <laughs> but they got their eyes off of the true goal. The goal wasn't to do right. The goal was to love God. They couldn't keep the law. And that's the reality that should have led them to put their faith in the merciful, loving God that they knew as the one and only one who could ever cover their sins with the blood of lambs and goats. They were never right because they kept the law. They were only right because the blood of a lamb covered their sin, covered their imperfection. It was the blood of the lamb. And they were supposed to even back then put their faith in the blood of the lamb that God would accept. But for the most part, it didn't work. <laughs> they just started taking pride in their own works and counting themselves as righteous in their own estimation. Now, if they had really been a people of the law who had put their faith in the one true and living God and not in themselves, they would have let the law lead them straight to Christ. And there are those, of course, who did. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. I have it again in the Passion Translation. My beloved brothers and sisters, the passionate desire of my heart and constant prayer to God is for my fellow Israelites to experience salvation. For I know that although they are deeply devoted to God, they are unenlightened in the kingdom of darkness. <laughs> and since they've ignored the righteousness God gives, wanting instead to be acceptable to God because of their own works, they have refused to submit to God's faith righteousness. For the Christ is the end of the law, and because of him, God has transferred his perfect righteousness to all who believe. Again, perfect righteousness. I want you to see what the Strong's Concordance says about the word end in this sentence. It is the word telos, and it says this. From a primary word, telo, which means to set out for a definite point or goal. Properly, which means in the strictest sense, 
it's the point aimed at as the limit. That is, by implication, the conclusion of an act or a state. In other words, termination. You've reached your goal. It stops. <laughs> Literally, figuratively, or indefinitely. It means result, immediate, ultimate, or prophetic. And it also has the concept of providing purpose. That's what the word end means. So if we want to know what Apostle Paul is trying to say, for Christ is the end of the law, is he just saying it ceases to be, or is there a point? <laughs> well, there is a point. If we insert these meanings into this sentence, this is what we get. Christ is the point and goal of the law. Not good behavior. Christ is the point aimed at as the limit, which means the utmost point. You can't go any higher. <laughs> Christ is the logical conclusion or result of the law. Christ is the termination of the law because he fulfills it. And Christ is the purpose of the law. So Jesus didn't abolish or destroy the law. He simply brought it to its completion, to its logical conclusion. If they were people of the word, they would have seen Jesus. <laughs> but their eyes were always fixed on themselves. The old covenant law clearly reveals that mankind lives in the kingdom of darkness and is a prisoner of sin, and that he has no way out by himself. But most of mankind doesn't even recognize that sin is their problem. They think they're good enough all by themselves. <laughs> so the law is really good at convincing people that they stand condemned as guilty of sin and are under the sentence of eternal death, which, if they're smart, will lead them to ask, then how do I get free from my sins? And the answer is never going to be, try harder. <laughs> try harder to keep the Ten Commandments. Get busy and work hard. That's what will do it. No, <laughs> that's never the right answer. But the church keeps preaching it like it is. The answer, of course, is trust in Christ and his finished works. And this truth continues to be the answer for believers who are struggling against sinful behaviors. Training harder to do better in our own strength and our own abilities will not bring us the freedom we seek. We must understand that if we find ourselves guilty of sin, and we are the ones that do that, God doesn't. He never pronounces us guilty of sin. Sin is not a legal transaction in his kingdom. It's null and void. It's not that they don't happen. He just said it has no power here in his kingdom. The answer isn't to be really sorry, which I was taught about. You, if you're really sorry, then you won't do that again. <laughs> or if you, you just need to confess it more and more. Just keep confessing that you're a sinner. Just keep confessing that you're weak. Just keep confessing that this is the truth about you. No. <laughs> the answer is to trust in Christ and his word to us. To trust that we are what he says we are. That we are a new kind of spiritual creation that never existed prior to the cross. And as new creations, we are presently living in the spiritual kingdom of our God and his government over us doesn't allow sin to have any power over our sonship and relationship with God. We are free from the power and the presence of sin, and we are free from the law of sin and death. It can't operate in God's kingdom. Now, it operates out in the <laughs> natural world. <laughs> you do something wrong out there, yeah, there's consequences, but it has no power and effect in our relationship with God. It can't operate in God's kingdom because God's kingdom operates on different laws. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are actually guilty. <laughs> there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. What I love about this law is I don't have to make it happen. Jesus makes it happen. I don't prevent the law of sin and death from being effective in God's kingdom. God does it. I'm just a beneficiary of this law. Because of this law, my sins and failures cannot separate me from Jesus or my Father. I am permanently glued to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit in me that brings forth God's kind and quality of life. 
all because of the finished works of Jesus on my behalf. I have very little to do with any of it. <laughs> so we are under a law. A law can be um, understood as a fixed process that constantly works on our behalf. This law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, doesn't demand something from us. It does something for us. It is always at work on our behalf, keeping us safe from the law of sin and death. And it is the law of the spirit of life, and it operates freely in and through Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit means that the Holy Spirit is always leading us into all truth and empowering us to keep the law of Christ. Yep, there's another law. <laughs> there's another law that operates in God's kingdom, and it's called the law of Christ. Again, these are not laws in the way that a normal law makes a demand from us. The old covenant worshipers had demands. That's what the Ten Commandments were, thou shalt. That's not what we have. Why? Because we're not in that kingdom. We have this new kingdom where God says, let me give you everything. Let me supply. I will have laws in my kingdom that make sure you always have full supply of everything you need. It's a fixed process that is always at work on our behalf and in us to bring forth God's kind and quality of life and to bring glory to Christ. Remember, we want our Jesus to stick out where people can see him. <laughs> we want him to be obvious in our lives. We find the law of Christ in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill, there it is again, fulfill the law of Christ. This doesn't say that we should keep the law of Christ, but that we should fulfill or accomplish the law of Christ. Again, this is not a law of demand. God's not saying, you shall. <laughs> I demand it of you. That's not how this law works. This is a law of supply. <laughs> Christ in us, through the Holy Spirit, supplies everything we need for living in a way that pleases God and glorifies Christ. And it's all of him. It's all of him in us. It's not us trying to bring something to him. We do not live for Christ. We live through Christ. That's different. It's his life through us, us cooperating. <laughs> when we cooperate, he shows out. Technically, he, Jesus, is himself the law or the power that is at work in us all the time. Now, most scholars agree that the best way to understand the law of Christ is by defining it as the law of agape love. Again, we have to think of the word law in terms of a process that is continually at work on our behalf. Just like the law of gravity always works <laughs> to keep things from floating away into space. <laughs> so the law of love is always continually at work in us because we have a new heart and a new spirit and we're one spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can see this in 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. And I've added the word agape in red. That's because the actual Greek word for this kind of love is agape love. It's not human love. Human love can come and human love can go. <laughs> but Christ's love remains forever. It's an everlasting love. It's a self-sacrificing love. This is God's kind of love. Verse 7. Those who are agape loved by God with this everlasting love, let his agape love continually pour from you. Whose love is it? <laughs> his love pour from you to one another because God is agape love, everlasting, self-sacrificing love. Everyone who agape loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't agape love has yet to know God. For God is agape love. Christians often read the original, like King James, it says those who don't love don't know God. That's kind of confusing because they think, well, I love. <laughs> well, I must know God if I love. No, it's a special kind of love that's given to us. <laughs> the light of God's agape love shined within us 
when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live again through him. This is agape love. He agape loved us long before we agape loved him. It was his love, his agape love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully agape loved ones. If he agape loved us with such tremendous self-sacrificing love, then agape loving one another, our way of life. Verse 12. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we agape love one another, God makes his permanent home in us, and we make our permanent home in him. And his agape love is brought to its full expression in us. And he has given us his spirit within us so that we can have the assurance that he lives in us and that we live in him. Knowing our Father's love and living in and through his love would be the equivalent of what the scriptures call the law of Christ. And again, it's to fulfill the law. It's to complete the goal, the point. <laughs> the point is to live a life of love. We can also see the law of love found in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. I have it in the ESV. This is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. First, the word commandment in verse 12 is not the word that is used regarding the old covenant laws. That Greek word is nomos, but this is a Greek word that I happen to love. <laughs> According to the Strong's Concordance, it is the word intole. I love intole <laughs> because it is an authoritative prescription. It's not a demand. <laughs> Jesus isn't stomping his foot at his disciples saying, you will love. <laughs> Jesus, as the Son of God, has the power and authority to prescribe that his disciples walk in agape, self-sacrificing love towards each other. And in case they didn't understand what he meant by agape love, because there was a lower kind of familial love that people said, well, that's agape love. And God's like, nope, you gotta come higher. <laughs> he says, let me tell you what agape love looks like. Greater love hath no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, the bottom line is, Jesus' disciples couldn't actually do this yet. <laughs> but remember, it's a prescription, not a demand. <laughs> they could try their best, but to love others the way Jesus had loved them was impossible for them. Unless God would provide a way for Jesus to actually come and live inside of them and supply them with the love that they needed to love other people with which is, of course, exactly what he did. <laughs> Jesus gave them this prescription the night before he was crucified. I love that he didn't give it to them in day one because they would have thought it was a demand. So Jesus gave them this prescription the night before he was crucified, knowing that they would have to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit before it and they could actually be filled. But he also knew that his disciples would see for themselves the greatest demonstration of God's amazing love for mankind the very next day. I'm sure the disciples had no idea that Jesus was speaking literally <laughs> when he said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But that is exactly what Jesus did the following day. He gave his life. He gave his precious, sinless blood and body to pay the sin debt that we could never pay. To buy us out of the slave market of sin and out of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus goes on that night to tell them that the Holy Spirit would be sent to them and that the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth because there was so much <laughs> that was about to happen 
that they had no idea about. But Jesus gave them this primary prescription for their lives. Love others as I have loved you. That's the goal, not the demand. The last thing Jesus prayed that night is found in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. And it says this. I do not ask for these only. Jesus is talking about his disciples. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and you love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, your character. <laughs> I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Here we see that Jesus didn't pray that his disciples would become great law keepers, <laughs> but that they would have and experience the same love of the Father that Jesus knew. In this prayer, Jesus reveals the Father's plan was to make human beings one with themselves in perfect unity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would somehow take a human being into themselves and make them one with himself. <laughs> and God would be one with them, all for the express purpose of them being able to know and experience the Father and his love. Of course, Jesus doesn't use the term new creation here, but he sure could have. <laughs> because that is exactly what he's describing. A human being that is joined to God and knows God, both as father and as friend and savior. And becoming a new creation doesn't happen by keeping the law of Moses, but by believing in Jesus and what he has done to set us free from the kingdom of darkness and the slavery of sin and the bondage of the law. <laughs> trying to be perfect all the time. <laughs> so many of God's kids are under the misconception that keeping the law of Moses is what pleases God and what enables God to accept them and bless them. They have bought the same lies that the early church struggled with. And we can see this in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Forever I was told he was talking about, don't you go back to your sin. <laughs> Duh, that one's easy. <laughs> I don't want to be a slave anymore. <laughs> but he's not talking about sin. He's talking about law-keeping as a way of making God happy with you. He says, that's bondage. Don't do it. <laughs> the liberty the Apostle Paul is referring to is not freedom from sin. It's our freedom from bonding to having to keep the law of Moses as a means of our righteousness or as a means of pleasing God. It's not law keeping that pleases God. It wasn't law keeping that pleased God in the Old Testament even. It's faith that pleases God. Specifically, faith in the finished works of Jesus. And it's only faith in the finished works of Jesus that enables us to become new creations. We become new creations by being born again directly into God's spiritual kingdom, which operates under the law of the Spirit. <laughs> the law of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit at work in us all the time, who brings us God's kind and quality of life in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And this is crazy, it works automatically. <laughs> this law automatically works within us, providing us with the fruit of the Spirit, which enables us to what? Fulfill the law of Christ, which is what? Loving others the way Jesus and the Father love us. None of this is available to us through keeping the law of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant laws are always a demand to perform in order to become right with God. And so much of the church thinks, well, Jesus forgave me, but I've had sins since that time. <laughs> Therefore, I have to get them taken away again. I have to make God happy with me again. None of that is true. Different kingdom. The law of sin and death does not operate in the kingdom of the spirit of life. It's null and void. The old covenant laws were always a demand to perform in order to become. That's not our covenant. And this is the Apostle Paul's point in Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 12. I have it in the Passion Translation. All those who insist that you be circumcised are recruiting you so that they can boast in their own works. They are attempting to avoid the persecution that comes with preaching the liberating message of the cross. They were being persecuted if they preached Jesus alone. Faith alone in Jesus alone. And they said, no, that can't be right. <laughs> Has to be Jesus plus faith plus law keeping. You see, if the Apostle Paul was willing to add the law back in, he wouldn't have been persecuted. But he had the audacity to say that Jesus was enough. Verse 13. Not even those who are circumcised keep every detail of the written law. And you know, we kind of don't really identify with that whole circumcision thing. So let's just try a little something a little different. Not even those who keep the Sabbath in every detail of the written law. Those who are wanting you to keep the Sabbath don't even keep the whole law. Yet they push you to what? Keep the Sabbath so that they can boast that you have become like them. Good law keepers. Good law keepers are always looking at their own works. So good law keepers become prideful and self-righteous, just like the Pharisees. They're always keeping score. They're always earning points. Unless you believe that it's all of grace and all of Jesus. That's probably the number one law in the Old Covenant that believers want to put on themselves. Paul addresses that, of course. He says, if you want a particular day to be special unto the Lord, have at it. If you want to make every day special unto the Lord, have at it. You're not more blessed because you keep the Sabbath by God. He doesn't say, oh, brownie points for you. You went to church today. But you know how many Christians believe that? A lot. We have all the brownie points we need with our Father because they're based on Jesus. <laughs> Verse 14. My only boast is in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, our Messiah. In him, I have been crucified to this natural realm, and the natural realm is dead to me and no longer dominates my life. I really like this translation of this verse. I have been crucified to this natural realm, the natural <laughs> kingdom of darkness. And the natural realm, the kingdom of darkness, is dead to me, and it no longer dominates my life. Circumcision doesn't mean a thing to me. I don't really like this version of this verse. <laughs> Circumcision doesn't mean a thing to me. The only thing that really matters is living by the transforming power of this wonderful new creation life. That's absolutely true. But his point wasn't that it meant nothing to Paul. The point is, it meant nothing to Christ. If you're circumcised, fine. Uncircumcised, fine. That doesn't make you more saved or more holy or more righteous. It's a non-issue. <laughs> it doesn't change anything. That's the point. I like this verse best in the King James, which I'm really accustomed to. It says, For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision availeth anything. I mean, there's no brownie points. <laughs> Nor uncircumcision. Also no brownie points. But a new creature. 
That was the point. That we could become new creatures in Christ Jesus. That's the only thing that avails anything with God. <laughs> Are you one of mine? <laughs> Have whatever you like. <laughs> the whole point of Jesus going to the cross was so that we could become new creatures in Christ Jesus. New creatures who live in the spiritual kingdom of God right now and who are no longer under the power of the law of sin and death. We're new creatures, empowered by the very life of Christ through the Holy Spirit. New creatures who are constantly righteous. What? <laughs> new creatures that are constantly righteous and truly holy, no matter what. New creatures whose Father is love. New creatures whose primary prescription for life is to love others in the same way Jesus has loved us. New creatures in Christ Jesus have no need to try to keep old covenant laws because those laws were created for a select group of sinful men. Yep, they weren't created for Gentiles. They were only created for Israel for, and only for a select period of time and only because they lived in the kingdom of darkness and were bound by the power and the law of sin and death. There were reasons they had those laws, <laughs> because they couldn't escape from the kingdom of darkness. As new creatures in Christ Jesus, we are free. We're free from the power and presence of sin. We're free from the law of sin and death. And we're free from the bondage of trying to keep old covenant laws that don't belong to our covenant. We are free to live a new creation life through faith and love. And like the Apostle Paul says, the only thing that counts, the only thing that avails anything, is faith working through love. I had an opportunity recently to put this into practice, so to speak. One day I was walking my dog, and uh, I am very careful that I always take plastic bags with me when I walk my dog. <laughs> because I will need them. <laughs> and I'm always very careful to make sure there's nothing remaining in anybody's yard. Very careful. I've even had people in our trailer park stop and say, I think you're the only one who does that. <laughs> Yay for me, right? <laughs> but one day the Lord says, um, I want you to be more careful when you take your dog for the walk. I just want you to be more careful that wherever he does his business, you're cognizant that someone might not like it, even though you always make sure there's no evidence. <laughs> just be more careful. I thought, mm, okay, I don't know that I can be more careful than I'm being, but okay, whatever you say, God. <laughs> and then one day I was walking my dog, and someone was coming down the same street the opposite way. And so I moved to the other side of the street. And when I moved to the other side of the street, of course, he decided to do his business in somebody's yard. <laughs> and I'm cleaning it up, and this car drives up while I'm bending over and picking up his mess. And I'm thinking, oh, good, she, this person will be happy that I've cleaned up after my dog. And she got out of the car. She was not happy. <laughs> she rolled her eyes, and she stomped and snorted. Will you please take your dog to the other side of the road? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> she said, my kids play in this yard. Okay, and the Holy Spirit said, I told you, you needed to be more careful. Yep, yep, you did. I'm walking along thinking, this hurts, Lord. <laughs> this hurts my heart real bad. <laughs> I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. <laughs> I thought it was being good, Jesus. <laughs> and now she's mad. <laughs> and all the way back to my house, I'm like, ow, Jesus, <laughs> you were right. I wasn't as careful as I probably should have been. Ow. <laughs> and I said, Lord, minister to my heart. I repent. I changed my mind. I'll be even more careful, Jesus. The next day, it was about 24 hours. My flesh had kicked in. 
I was so proud of myself because it did kick in before that. <laughs> I'm thinking maturity. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> because I suddenly had all kinds of rebuts. <laughs> you let your kids play by the street? Are you nuts? <laughs> and God's like, seriously? Okay. That's not love. That's my flesh head. You see, love said, you have a perfect right to ask me not to let my dog do his business in your yard. It's your yard. Love honors somebody else's rights. Love honors what somebody else wishes. I was hurting <laughs> because of my own selfishness. <laughs> I thought I was being righteous. And God said, the standard is higher. The standard is self-sacrificing love. You can't do it on your own. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I had no malice in my heart the whole rest of that day until the evening, <laughs> about 24 hours later, and then my flesh had kicked in. <laughs> Let's fight about this. <laughs> Let's justify ourselves. No, let's not. Let's just understand that the Holy Spirit knows things before we know them. And he knows how to help us love in response to even unkindness. Amen? Father God, we thank you that you enable us to love others the way you love us. We thank you, Father God, that we are new creations, brand new creations, people who never existed before the cross, human beings that contain God and are one with him. The old covenant Jews would never have thought of such a thing. They wouldn't have believed it if you had told them. <laughs> but we thank you, Father God, for the reality that the cross has brought into our lives, that it is we are continuously right before you because the blood of Jesus is an eternal blood. It is forever powerful and effective. And because of that blood, we have also died with him. The old us is gone. And we thank you, Father, that it is by the Holy Spirit and by the indwelling power and fruits of the Holy Spirit that we can love in difficult situations. We can let our Jesus stick out where other people can see him. We thank you, Father God, that you supply everything for us. We thank you that our, our covenant is not a law of demand, but a law of supply, and that you will originate opportunities for us to demonstrate the power of the indwelling Christ in our lives. And we thank you for the fullness and the richness of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that we get to have all of you. Help us, Lord, to understand that that is our true reality. We have all of you, and you have all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.